want you to hear and receive something this morning. You are very welcome. All of you are welcome. And all of you is welcome. In this moment, let's pause for a moment and, and let's welcome God. I invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And in your heart, pray this welcome to him. Jesus, I welcome you. Freedom can be hard to handle. Do you remember the first time that you were allowed to stay home all by yourself? You had the freedom to do anything you wanted. Or maybe the first time you drove a car without any adults in the car. Or maybe your first beer. Or your first paycheck. Or the first time you lived alone without your parents. You're experiencing this freedom and all of a sudden you have all these kinds of decisions and choices to make. And you're like, really? I, I, I don't even know where to start. How did you handle it? Yay? Maybe parents came home and said, we gave you too much freedom. I think freedom can be hard to handle because when you first get freedom, it's not clear what matters most. It's hard to prioritize. Like, I remember the very first car I ever got was a 1973 Delta Oldsmobile. Now, it was a long car. It was a, about as long as from the front of the stage to the back of the room. Uh, you had to decide to turn about three miles before you actually turned. This car cost me $500. I bought it. And then I started thinking about what, what's next. I mean, what, I have the freedom with this car to do what I need. What should I do? Should I, should I make sure the oil has been changed? Should I make sure the tires aren't bald? What, what can I spend my money on to make sure that this car, you know, is going to do what I want it to do? And I landed on buying a $250 stereo system. <laughs> worth half the price of the car because freedom can be hard to handle and we don't always know what matters most. So excited. My daughter is uh, back home visiting from college. She's a freshman. And uh, we just talked about how much freedom she has right now. She's, uh, it's so different when you get to college and there aren't professors checking to see if you're uh, showing up for class and no one's setting a curfew. She gets to decide where she's going to eat, what she's going to eat, how late she's going to stay out. All of a sudden, she's having to wrestle with all kinds of questions of what matters most. Now, she's doing a great job with this. But I think that all of us would understand that when we are given a lot of freedom, sometimes we don't handle it well because we don't prioritize the right things. Wouldn't it be great if there was some kind of system that would just show us this is what matters most? We're wrapping up this month our study in the book of Exodus. It's the, the setting free of God's people. As, as we remember that, that it was... Uh, God brought them out of Egypt. He set them free. But now that we're in the wilderness, we're learning that God wants to help them continue to live free. And he's helping them. And their story is kind of a metaphor that's guiding our story as well. When we find freedom in Christ, that's great. And then we look forward and go, but how do I live free? How do I not fall back into some of the bad traps and captivities? And the thing about these Israelites is they've been living in captivity for centuries. But now they're on their own. It's like they've just been handed the keys 
to the car, and they're in this desert, and they're going, what matters most? And so God's been helping them by giving them some things to teach them how to live free. First of all, if you remember, he gave them the practice of remembering the, 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 the Passover meal, a way that they could always remember how they got set free. Because one of the ways we stay free is when we go back and remember how we got free in the first place. Then we saw that he gave them the practice of his uh, provision, how he would provide for them. And we live free when we trust that God is going to provide. And we also live free when we trust that maybe we are the provision for someone else. But today, we're going to be in Exodus 20, and we're going to see God give his people another help to stay free. It's called the gift of stewarding what matters. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. You have Genesis and then we have Exodus. And we're going to be in chapter 20, the whole chapter here. And as you're turning there, we're, we're picking back up. Moses is now back on the mountain where he first met with God, where he first heard God's voice coming out of this burning bush. And one of the things that God said to him at that day was, hey, you're going to deliver all these people. You're going to get everybody out. You're going to be this guy. And one of the ways that you'll know you've been set free is when you and I meet back on this mountain together. And here they are. And so God has some things to say to him. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And what you see is God did not bring them out of the land of slavery just for them to continue to act and live like slaves, Right? I brought you out of the land of slavery because I want you to no longer be slaves. And so he's got to give them something to help them handle their freedom. And it's something that we have called the Ten Commandments. Another way to really look at this is the, these are really ten pronouncements. It's like God says, hey, I want to let you know, now that you're out in this new area, uh, and, and you didn't really have a chance before to think about it, but I want you to know what's most important. So I'm going to pronounce to you the ten things that are important to me. And actually, the way you look at these, I, I kind of look at these it really as three groups because they're each showing us something of that God thinks matters most. Here's the first three. First three right off the bat. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make yourself an image or an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or on the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. In these first three categories, what, what is God showing us matters most? God. God himself matters most. Having him as a priority in your life, number one. Making sure that we don't put other things in his place. Making sure that we're very careful about what we do in the name of God. All that matters. But then God goes on and he says, there's a second thing that matters. It's in the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do what? Any work. What he's saying here is, hey, we matter. We matter to God. Remember the Jews had spent the last 400 years not really as men and women, but as brick-making machines. They were captives they had been worked and overworked and overworked. And God is pronouncing that overwork is wrong. That we were made for more than making bricks. That we need to find ways to, to be sustainable. That we need to find ways to learn to rest and trust God to take care of it. So how we take care of ourselves matters. But then in these last six, there's one more thing that God is saying really matters to him. Kind of a long list. Verse, 
Uh, Number five, honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, and you shall not covet. What he's saying here is this. Other people matter. Your parents matter. Every person's life matters. The way that we do relationships matters. How we treat other people's stuff matters. How we speak to each other, how we speak about each other matters. And what we want for others matters. That sense of covet is the sense that I want what you have. I want to take it away from you because I want it. Well, then you wouldn't have it anymore. Well, that, that matters to God. And for a group of people, again, that have been living in a system for centuries where it was clear that some people mattered more than other people, God is resetting the table and saying, listen, everyone matters or no one matters. Everyone has the right to be honored. Everyone has the right to have life, to have their relationships and possessions protected. Everyone has the right to be spoken to and about in truth and in peace. Everyone has the right to enjoy their life without the threat that someone is coming to take it away. These are basic human rights. This is what it means to live in a world where God is in charge. And when we fail to see that God matters most, or we fail to see that how we matter to Him, or when we fail to see that everybody else matters, then that's when we fall back into captivity and bad ways. And so the gift God is giving His people is this. He wants us to steward what matters. When we don't have a humble sense of stewardship of something, we tend to make poor decisions, like putting a $250 stereo in a $500 card. When we don't steward God in our lives, we start looking to other things to be our Savior. When we don't steward our, ourselves right, we, we fall into captivity to unsustainable ways of living. When we don't steward that everyone matters, we become slaves to self-centeredness. We fail to treat God's kids the way that any father would want his kids treated. So God gave this to his people. Here's what matters most. This is going to be the terms of our relationship, the covenant, the contract between us. But here's where it went wrong. Sounds like a great plan. It was a great plan. But there's one small problem. You see, we have this thing inside us called sin. This is a broken part of us. This is the part that takes the good things that God gives us and we use them in wrong ways. And this is what happened with these ten pronouncements. We used them in wrong ways. Several centuries later, this former Jewish scholar who had come to follow Jesus Christ, his name was Paul, he explained in a letter called Romans, he explained exactly what went wrong with how we use these Ten Commandments. Listen to what he said in Romans 9. The people of Israel, who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law, never succeeded. They never did. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of trusting in Him. Instead of seeing these ten things as, oh, okay, this is, a, this is showing us the heart of God. This is showing us where we go wrong. Okay, this is showing us a, a, a way for us to live freely. They started seeing them as a ladder to get to God. Oh, we can climb these. I could do number ten, number nine, number eight. I get all the way to number one, and I'm good. And if I do this stuff, God will give me things. And if I don't do this stuff, God will take things away from me. And so the point of their life, they start looking at these ten and they start saying, well, we've got to make sure we do all these because if we do all these, God will be happy. And if we don't do these things, he will be mad. 
So the whole point of their life changed. Instead of being kids in a relationship with a dad, they became worried about making him happy. When our kids were younger, we had rules for them. Of course, we had discipline for them. We had rules like, these are rules from our house. We had a rule, uh, don't hit your brothers. That was a rule. Don't hit your brothers. Uh, we had a rule, don't eat dog food. That was a rule. We had the rule. I want you to know that our kids rarely eat dog food now because they're older. But when they were younger, they needed to have that rule. They needed to understand, hey, what, what's really important to us is that we don't eat dog food. But the goal, and, and we had discipline when there was errors and all that stuff, but remember, the goal was never just to produce kids that would be obedient. The dream that we had is that our kids would leave our home rooted in love for God and love for other people. It was always about living out of what matters most. But when they're younger, they had to have the rules. And what these Israelites soon discovered was that doing all the right and not doing all the wrong was impossible. They could never do it enough. They could never climb high enough. In fact, they even at one point thought they were doing okay until a guy named Jesus showed up and said, oh, well, you thought if you just didn't murder someone that you were okay, but I'm going to tell you if it was in your heart, then you broke it. Oh, my goodness. So we could never climb. So this system of commandments did something. It exposed that we need help that we needed a Savior, that we were not going to be able to do these ten things and get to God. We needed something better. Now I want to pause here for a moment. I want to give you a question to think about for a second. What happens when we spend our lives trying to do and to not do so that God will accept us? If you wake up every morning and you're worried about if God is mad at you or if you've made Him happy enough and you want to spend the day trying to do that, what kind of life does that lead you towards? What kind of life has that led you towards? I think when we spend our lives trying to do and not do so that God will accept us, it leads us to constantly ask this question. Is blank a sin? We've got to have an answer to that. Uh, we got to have a book about that. We have to have lists about that. We need to, to, to know that there's a, a piece of paper somewhere in the church that has that. We need to answer this question. It's so important because if I don't get this question right, I'm never going to be right with God. I could be doing things wrong and not even know it. Oh, my goodness. God's mad at me, and I wasn't even aware he was mad. This is not living free. This is living fear. And what it led these people to do back in this story of Exodus is they began to take these 10 pronouncements and they began to build bigger and bigger fences around them to add more and more rules to them because they wanted to really make sure they never accidentally violated this. For example, remember that fourth commandment? God said, hey, I want you to take a, a day of every week and I want you to do no work. Why? Because you matter to me and I want you to rest. I want you to connect with me. But people started asking, well, gosh, how do we make sure that we do no work on the Sabbath? Because that would be a sin. And so, so they started worrying about that. And so they, 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 they took something like this. They said, well, wait a minute. Um, you know how on Sundays or, or on a Sabbath day we like to build a little fire and, and warm up some soup and, and just sit around and be warm? Well, well, wait a minute. But building a fire is work, right? You, you have to pick up the log. You have to carry it over here, chop up the wood, put it all. That's work. So you know what? To make sure that we don't even get close to breaking the fourth commandment, we're not going to build any more fires on the Sabbath. We're going to have cold bread, we're going to have a cold table, and God's going to be so proud of us. 
And then they started thinking, but what about my neighbor down the street? What if I see smoke coming out of his chimney on the Sabbath? <gasps> he could blow it for all of us. I mean, I could be doing right, but then he's going to blow it. So I need to go make sure he's not doing it either, and I'm going to tell on him. And it got really confusing with all these because it, when you have this many rules, it becomes difficult to go what matters most. So, for example, you'd have a situation where, gosh, my daughter is really sick and it's cold outside. I, I wish I could build a fire to warm her. Uh, warming her would be the loving thing to do. But then if I did build a fire, then I'd be breaking God's law and he'd be mad. So I don't know what to do. I, which rule should I not break? They built more and more fences. Have you ever seen a toddler get a present for Christmas? It's kind of fun. You got this big wrapping paper and all done, and, and they go over, they look at it, they don't really know what to do with it, and you go help them, you know, and you start ripping the paper a little bit, and then they get it, and they rip the paper, and there's this box, and it's got a picture of whatever's inside. You open up the box, you take it out, you hand it to them. Uh, grandma takes 58 pictures of what's happening. Uh, and then what does a kid do that just drives you nuts? They put that toy down, and they start playing with the box. And you're like, no, 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 no. The, the, the box is 39 cents. The toy was $39. You know, and uh, one year, Jessica and I were like, maybe we should just buy boxes for our kids this year because they, that's what they seem to like. God gave this gift, but we played with the box instead of the toy. We played with the rules instead of this relationship. Now, here's what's good about God. He always has a plan. All along, God knew we were going to play with the box. And all along, he knew, I have to let them play with the box. I have to let them see how pointless that is so that they will be ready for my plan. Here's his plan. The prophet Jeremiah relates it to us. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. The old covenant, based on those Ten Commandments. Okay, this is a new one with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. It won't be like the one we're talking about in Exodus 20. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their what? Minds. I'm going to write it on their what? Hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. See, the old covenant had what matters most carved into stone tablets. This new covenant is going to have what matters most carved into soft hearts. Well, that sounds pretty good. When is this new covenant going to happen? One day, a man named John saw a man named Jesus walking by. And he said, behold, there's the lamb that's going to take away the sin of the world. This is the one who's going to make us right with God. This is the one that's going to start this new contract, this new covenant. And then the night before Jesus would be dragged off to die, he was having a meal with some of his followers. And if you remember, he was not just having a meal, he was having a very specific meal. It was a Passover meal. It was the meal that reenacted the Exodus. And so you had the first Exodus where they got led out of Egypt, and then as soon as they got free, God said, I want to make a covenant with you. And now you have Jesus at a meal reenacting that Exodus, and as soon as he gets through the meal, he says, I want to make a new covenant with you. Jesus took bread, broke it, and said, this is my body broken for you. He took a cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Here it is. This is the new covenant. This is the one where God says, I'm going to put what matters most in your hearts. I'm going to help you solve this priority dilemma. I'm going to help you uh, figure out that you have so many rules, and it's so hard to figure out which one. I'm going to give you a new covenant. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. 
This covenant is not going to be based on how many of the Ten Commandments you kept and how high you climbed. It's going to be based, Jesus says, in my broken body and in my shed blood. It's going to be based on what I did, not what you did. In this sense, what Moses could not do, Jesus will. Jesus is going to become our exodus. Now, if you're a disciple and you're hearing all this language, you've got to be thinking, well, what matters most in this new covenant? I mean, gosh, in the old covenant, we had these, these ten pronouncements, and then we later added about 600 or so more, and then uh, the Pharisees, you know, for years and years and years have been adding more and more and more, and it's so confusing because I don't know what, what the right thing to ever do in any situation is. So if we have hundreds and hundreds of things that all matter most in the old covenant, how many things matter most in the new covenant, Jesus? Are you, hold, you mean one? One. One? One. Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment, and it's this. What is it? Love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is a brand new covenant. The old is gone, the new has come. The old is obsolete. The way we steward what matters most is not by obeying the commandments of Moses. The way we steward what matters most is by obeying the commandment of Jesus. And his commandment is, love as I have loved you. And this now becomes the litmus test for a person who says, I'm going to call myself a follower of Christ. How we love people. You see, we turn around, we stop asking the question, is blank a sin? And we ask a brand new question. What? Does love require? See, the old covenant had so many loopholes and so many fences, and they just kept adding things in. But this new command simplifies everything. It doesn't make it easy. It makes it simple. How can we do for others what we would want them to do for us? How can we not do to others what we would want them to not do to us? And when we realize that the way to find acceptance with God is through Jesus Christ, he writes this new covenant in our hearts, and we become free to love. So how does it work to ask this question, what does love require? What, what, it, what it's doing is it, is, it is prioritizing. It is God saying, let me make it super clear to you that this is the thing that matters most. And so it changes the reasons and what ways that we interact. Let me give you an example. So we don't lie. We don't want to be people who lie. Why? Well, under the old covenant, you would say, because God said don't lie. And because if you lie, he's going to punish you. And if you don't lie, I mean, if you, if you do tell the truth, he'll be. No, no, no. In the new covenant, we don't lie because lying is unloving. Lying is me saying that you don't matter as a person. What does love require? Love requires that I speak truth with you. We don't look at pornography. Why? Well, because God would be so disappointed in us. That's an old covenant way of thinking. A new covenant way of thinking is no, because porn is immensely devaluing of another. It's not loving for me to use you for my gain. It is saying to my sister or my brother that they matter less. We're generous with our money. Why? Well, because if we do, God will give us more. And if we don't, then God will take more away from us. No, no, no. We are generous with our money because we ask the question, what does love require? And if everyone matters, we start wanting to contribute in tangible ways. We build refugee lighthouses in the Middle East. Why? Well, because it's a good thing or God said to do No, no, no. Because it's the most loving thing we can do. When we look at a place where there are a million refugees, we ask the question, what does love require? And we step in and do. See, it's not easier, but it is more simple. 
What does love require? And so we welcome the unwelcomed and we speak for the voiceless and we light candles instead of cursing the darkness. Why? Because we are the people of the new covenant. We are makers of peace. We are seers of people. We are lovers of the way we have been loved. Now, you might be saying, okay, but that still sounds a little confusing. I mean, how would I really know what it means to answer the question, what does love require in every circumstance? That's, that's confusing. It could mean this or this. What does that look like? Well, remember, the new command of Jesus is not to love people. The new command of Jesus is, I want you to love people just as I have loved you. So we have to have a crash course in Jesus. We've got to start soaking in the stories of Christ. I want to read my Bible now, not because there's some verse that says you ought to read your Bible. I want to read my Bible to go, I want to find out how God loved me. I want to find out how God loves us so I can then follow suit. And we find ways to talk about how Jesus loved us so that everyone everywhere will know the reign of Christ and follow him too. This is the work of life. I'm going to close with a story. really moved uh, a few weeks ago when a man walked into a Pittsburgh synagogue and opened fire and killed 11 people. The man was wounded and he was taken by ambulance to Allegheny General Hospital. Now when he arrived, you get, you get the image, he's on a gurney, he's got multiple gunshot wounds, he's being wheeled into the hospital. While he's being wheeled into the hospital, he is still screaming, I want to kill more Jews. The first three people to attend to him, guess what faith they were from? One was a Jewish nurse. One was a Jewish doctor. One was the president of the hospital who was a member of the same synagogue the man had just shot up. Now, you might want to ask the question, why was the president of the, syn of, of the hospital there in the ER? They asked him about it. He said, I, I was here because I wanted to make sure that this man got the best care. Now, if I was the attending, i gotta, I got to be honest. My first instinct might just be, let's let this guy bleed out. Because he is a hateful man and his life doesn't matter. But these doctors and nurses and president, these men and women, decided to ask the question, what does love require? How do we do for this man what we would want done for us? And they treated him as if he mattered. Because everybody matters or nobody matters. And here's the thing. In many ways, our world is getting better. We have less disease. Uh, we have less violence. We have communities that are gaining more and more access to water and to life. We are starting to stand up and say no more to the ways we used to tolerate how we treated one another. But in many ways, our world is still missing what matters most. We still have immense suffering, unimaginable poverty. We have five civil wars happening in one region of the world. And it seems that we're more polarized or victimized than ever. And we all just long for the same thing. We long for welcome, for value, for shelter, and for hope. And sometimes it feels so large. I don't know if you feel like this, but I feel like all I can do is either rage or I could just despair there's another option. To truly live free is to do the most that any of us can do. And that's less than everything. 
but it's more than nothing. And so what we can do is we can steward doing for others what we would like them to do for us, or we can not do to others what we would like them to not do for us. It comes to the question, what does love require? This is the work of Christ for us. And so I want to invite the band up, and I want to give you a question to consider, because I'm wondering this. I'm wondering if this week you're going to meet up with someone hard to love. You might meet them online. You might meet them at work. You might meet them at your own Thanksgiving table. Some of you right now, maybe even a name is popping into your brain. What I want to encourage you to do is you think about this, is that there's so many what matters most when you encounter that. But what would happen this week when you met with this person, if you were to look to Jesus and ask, what does love require? What would happen if you were to look to Jesus and ask, what does love require? I'm going to let you sit with that question for a minute as you're thinking about your week ahead. And when we're ready, we'll move into a response of worship.